As the old saying goes, the children are the future. However, the current status of our children doesn't shine a very bright light on our future. And I say this because this week I learned of the June 24th murder of a 73-year-old man in Pennsylvania at the hands of kids. Now, I know that that sounds far-fetched, and in a reasonable and rational society, that wouldn't happen, but we don't live in a very orderly society anymore. As a matter of fact, we've embraced chaos, and it's spread like wildfire. The murderers of Mr. Lambert were children, and children as young, some as young as 10, I think the eldest was 14. Today I want to talk about this and ask what kind of future are we setting ourselves and our children up for if we're allowing them to become the monsters that murder the elderly in the street? been listening to this program, um, you know that I'm a huge fan of Jason Whitlock's show, Fearless. I watch the show almost every day, and I have to say, the more that I watch, the more uh, more, uh, I love it. And while the subject of his shows are very interesting and informative and very, he speaks truth, One story that he did two days ago stood out to me on a show titled Democrats are Leaving Black Children for Dead. That story was, of course, the beating death of James Lambert in Pennsylvania at three in the morning by, of all people, children. I can think of a number of things that I would have been doing at three in the morning between the ages of 10 and 13, and none of them would have involved the outdoors. Uh, Maybe I would have stayed up a little later than I was supposed to watching TV. Maybe I would have snuck to the refrigerator when no one was looking and grabbed some ice cream or some cake or something, but it wouldn't have been outdoors. The dark and outside I knew were off limits and for a reason, for my own well-being. Now, in the midst of the show, Mr. Whitlock discussed the fact that, and something that I'm actually learning, uh, while Blacks are being conditioned to believe that we have the same exact worries or the same exact problems involving racism that Blacks from the 1960s and prior had, the source of all of our problems is not really systemic racism. It's not lack of government programs. Actually, what I've read, what I've been reading lately, government programs have actually greatly contributed to the problems in the black community. But I digress. Uh, it isn't 
the cause of a boogeyman, white man, KKK, Proud Boys or whoever, there's some new group out there that I don't really know the name of and I don't care enough to know the name of them because those groups don't ride as they say, they used to say the Klan did as they, like they used to. Now, back in the 50s, it was probably, especially if you were living in the South, the chances of a clan raiding your neighborhood if you were black and burning crosses and kicking doors in and grabbing and lynching black men, women, and children were pretty high. That doesn't happen anymore. I've never heard of that at this, you know, in this day and age. But Mr. Whitlock goes on to emphasize the fact that we have been conditioned to believe that the Klan or uh, government systems and laws are our greatest enemy when the cause of much harm to black people is honestly other black people. And we see this in statistics. Some of us see this in our day-to-day -day lives and we either have or we still do. I, for one, have been one of those people that have witnessed my own people destroying themselves and each other in real time and it leads me to believe that I don't have to worry all that much about someone outside of the black race doing me harm. Actually, if you know anything about statistics and crime and things like that, people actually commit crimes where they live. And so if you're a white criminal, you're more likely to criminalize and victimize other whites. Like if you're black, you're more likely to criminalize and victimize other blacks. And while all these things are going on, while our families have been destroyed, while our a great number of our men are in prison or dead, uh, a growing number of our children are being raised in single parent homes. Black women are, make up the make up about sixty percent of all new HIV uh, infections. We're still blaming something or someone other than ourselves for where we are. We're still refusing to acknowledge the harm that we do to ourselves and we do to one another. And we act as if we can sweep it under the rug and the world is not going to see our dirty laundry. Well, we live in a day and age where everywhere you go, there is a camera somewhere recording you. We even now are walking around with cameras and high tech ones in our pocket. And I'm looking at my iPhone right now and I don't, I wouldn't have imagined you know, 15 years ago, been able to walk around with a camera in my pocket on a phone. Uh, but especially as, you know, high quality as the, the cameras in these phones are, are, and they're becoming even better. So what was recorded in Pennsylvania at three in the morning on June 24th? A elderly man was ambushed by a group of children and beaten to death. He was beaten with metal pipes, traffic cones, and there was a girl that was 14, it looked pretty tall for her age, that grabbed a, looked like a metal pipe and hit the man in the back of the head, causing him to stumble to the ground. And once he was there, another little girl ran, grabbed a traffic cone and hit him with it. It, it was the craziest thing that I've seen in a long time. And when Jason was talking about this, he kind of described a Lord of the Flies scenario in which unsupervised children become animalistic and they turn on they they turn on the communities that 
they live in? Well, and we talk, we're talking about these poor neighborhoods where, I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood similar to this one, but apparently the conditions have gotten worse. See, where these kids, with when we were growing up in my poor neighborhoods, we at least had some adult living in the house with the kids. These children in some cities are living in abandoned buildings with groups of other kids. That right there was, to learn that was shocking and it was heartbreaking, especially with me being a mom, because, you know, when you become a mother, you think and you would hope that everyone who has children would love and protect them the way that you do yours, but that's not the case. And these kids are proof of that because to love our children means to discipline them and to discipline them, we have to teach them, we have to give them structure and, you know, set expectations and standards for them. And for these kids, it seems that all of those things that they need, the love, the compassion, the kindness, but also the discipline, the love, the instruction, the expectations have, it's a foreign concept to them. So I have to ask, what kind of world are we creating for ourselves? And when the future looks like this, when the future of our society is that violent, that young, and it's not just black kids, because I know that people are going to listen to this and hear that because Jason also had a, a guest on his show, a white man that actually was able to enlighten myself and other people that may not be white of what's going on with his uh, own race and their children. And he pointed to something that Fox News host Tucker Carlson discussed on his program, where he said that America's school's solution to children is to dope them up with things like Adderall and ADHD meds, a psychiatric medication, as if that's the solution to whatever is going on with the kids. We have come to replace discipline with drugs, and then we complain about a drug epidemic. I, for one, again, have seen this in real time. I have a 12 year old daughter who uh, kind of went through an adjustment period when she was starting kindergarten. She, you know, like every other child, had to adjust at her own pace. Well, the problem with that is that most schools don't make way for children to actually get into a routine. The teachers aren't patient anymore. They don't want to do their job. And so as soon as my daughter was met, it was like there was a target on her back. She was taken out to recess. And I kid you not, I got a phone call from the principal saying that they think that she has ADHD because she goes to recess and runs really fast. My answer to that was I was asking the principal, isn't that what recess is for? Are the children not supposed to run and burn off some energy? And it became one thing after another until I just finally had enough and let the school know that my child was not going to be an experiment. We weren't going to sacrifice her education and the future of her education so that they could dope up another child just to get more funding for the school for the special education classes. And so we have, uh, we've created formerly institutions of education now operating as taxpayer funded laboratories. And our kids are the lab rats as they continue to experiment with as many as they can with psychiatric meds. 
Now, Tucker relate, um, Tucker described this as it was related to all kids because let's face it, it is all kids. It's white kids, it's black kids. Any child that the public education or so-called educators think that they can convince, uh, whose parents they think they can convince their children need to be doped up, they're gonna do it. Uh, the guest on Jason Whitlock's show described, you know, a high addiction rate of white kids in schools and Adderall and pills and things like that. And I remember thinking back to my school days and I did have a lot of white friends who were on Adderall. I didn't even know what Adderall was. I just, I heard it in reference to that. So it was something my friends were using, but I didn't know what it was. But either since, whether it was a black child or a white child, we haven't done our kids any favors by treating them like lab rats and we're only getting worse. The biggest problem that I see with public education is that we've removed discipline from the schools and we replaced it with doping the kids up as if that's somehow gonna fix the issues with our children. Or maybe that's exactly what they want. They want our kids doped up so that they can create little robots that bend to the will of whatever their uh, teachers and administrators are throwing at them. It used to be, you go to school, you learn reading and writing, math, arithmetic, uh, science, social studies, geography. You, of course you had phys ed to keep the kids in shape, but now there's a whole bunch of political agendas being shoved down the faces of kids when all we want is our children educated. Our education system has not been updated anywhere in America for more than a hundred and something years. We're still, uh, training our children not to think, but to do. And it's all in this method of teaching children to become little factory workers. That was the original intention of education system, produce workers. That was it. We're not trying to produce thinkers, which is what education is supposed to do. And that isn't going to fare well in the end. Not to mention that we have all these agendas and these people talking about they want to talk to our kids about their sexuality as young as kindergarten. And I don't care whether you're gay or straight or bi or whatever. That's not something that a kindergartner needs to be introduced to. It creeps me out that people are now standing in uh, education, in positions of education and authority, and they're wanting to validate themselves through the smallest and youngest and most naive of children. I have a son that just came out of kindergarten. Do you really think that he would even be able to comprehend it as intelligent as he is? I know that not only would he, but no one in his class or his age group would be able to comprehend transgenderism. I've seen a, I've seen one book after another one where children uh, that are catered toward children. And now we're trying to describe abortion to them, abortion to kids. Now on the political front will tell you that the most that they're trying to the political front for abortion is to deny the fact that in most cases abortion is done out of convenience for the mother and the father not because of some tragedy that happened to the mother nor because the mother's life is in jeopardy and for those cases i am sympathetic but those are very very rare cases they do happen absolutely but they're rare and uh, what we also ignore in terms of violence committed of, against mothers that results in children is the fact that a lot of actually keep are, there are mothers that do keep and raise their children or they keep them and give them up for adoption. Um, 
But I digress. We've created a world where people have come to, and I know you all have seen the videos, or at least I believe you have. There are people out there that are trying to advocate that child, that pedophilia is not a crime. It is a sexual orientation. And nobody, as far as I know, of any sane rationality, reason, or even an ounce of morality is having that. I've heard one TED talk after another. And the sad thing about it is I've seen women doing it as well. And we're the ones that are, have, from the time we are small girls up to adulthood, it ingrained in us to watch out for um, certain types of people, especially men, when it comes to the things that they might do to us. Children are our most vulnerable. And right now they seem to be the biggest target. They're targeted for a number of things uh, that all are going to lead to us somewhere worse. And I have to wonder where do we plan, what kind of future do we see for children who are roaming the streets in packs at 3 a.m., who are doped up in schools, who are uh, indoctrinated with not the not taught the morals and the ethics of their parents, but indoctrinated with politicized, over politicized at that political agendas and um, perversion at such a young age. Like, what kind of future are we setting ourselves up for? We're not setting ourselves up and our children up, especially for the utopia that people think this is going to turn into. This is not gonna go any place good. <sighs> we have gotten to a point where we've diminished the authority of parents so much that our kids are running wild. And now I, I worry that it may be too late to turn things around. And I actually talked about this before when I said that there was this uh, kind of push back in the 90s to for parents to be less authority figures to their children and more of their friend. And even any psychologist that deals with children and knows anything about childhood development will tell you that that is not how you raise kids. If you your children come to see you as a friend, then they're never going to respect your authority. Now you can have a healthy relationship with your kids. Of course, you can have open communication and an understanding that if you need, if they need anything, then you can come, they can come talk to you. I have a, uh, I think I have that kind of relationship with my kids. I talk to my children all the time, but they also understand that mom is an authority figure. I love you, but I can't be your friend. It's not how uh, it doesn't make sense in in relation to how we are how we know one another. And it worries me, especially as of late, because when you're a kid and you're growing up in a home where your parents are actually doing their job and you go out into the world and you see your peers whose parents let them do, who's, they run their parents, the parents don't run them. It can be kind of confusing. And then there's all of a sudden during your teen years, I mean, it's natural during your teen years to want to rebel a little bit and um, defy your parents' authority, but we're making it so that children don't even have to rebel because by the time they're 12, 13, or 14, they already know that mom and dad are weak. 
you discipline them. The school tells tells you tells the children that if mom and dad discipline you, you call the cops on them. Then you have kids actually doing this stuff and making complete messes out of their lives. Um, I was actually had a conversation with a police officer's wife a few years ago, and it was it reminded me of this whole scenario that I'm kind of describing. So she said her her husband works for the police, the local police department, and he was uh, given a 911 call about a child abuse case. Well, he arrived on the scene to find out that uh, there was a dispute between a father and son where the father wanted the son to get up and clean up his room and take out the trash like he was told to do. The son didn't want to do it. He wanted to take and play video games all day. And so the father snatched the boy's uh, gaming system away from him, and I believe he broke it or something. So the child called the police and told them that his father had beat him and he destroyed his game system. I mean, just any number of lies to get his dad in trouble. The police showed up, found out what happened, told the boy that the father could tear up anything in the house that he wanted to because he paid for it, turned to the father, told him, if you're going to whoop his butt, you need to do it now because I'm not coming back. And this is what we've created is a generation of entitled little brats that think that they're supposed to be able to run their parents and the parents are not supposed to have authority over them when the school system is feeding them that garbage. I'm going to wrap this up really quick, but I want to end by saying this. I used to hear old men talk and they would say that this isn't the America that they knew and grew up in. And I didn't know what they meant. Um, and I, that was like the late 90s, early 2000s, of course, when we had gone through the crack epidemic era of the 80s, the rise of gang violence in the 90s, and then things just progressively got worse. And of course, when I was a kid, didn't really notice all that, but I wonder what those men meant. And I kind of understand what they're saying now. Now, in today's society, you would hear somebody say that and you would think, and sadly, most people would, would assume that that has some type of racial undertone to it, that these people were happy when Blacks were oppressed under things like segregation and Jim Crow laws in the South and miscegenation laws. And that's not always the case. In fact, many of those people actually stood and fought alongside civil rights leaders to ensure that Blacks got the rights that they needed, that they uh, deserve. And when I think of it, I'm thinking about the uh, three boys that were kidnapped and, of course, killed by the Klan. I, have, I know one of them was Jewish, one was Black, and I believe the other one was an Irish boy or something like that. So... I used to wonder what these men meant. And I grew up, of course, I was born in the late 80s. I was born in 1988. And I grew up through um, the rise of gang and gun violence across America. I actually lived in several neighborhoods where I've seen people murdered. I, you, it was a common theme to walk up on a woman laying in the, the alley behind our house bleeding because she'd been stabbed. Um, and the DEA raiding my neighbor's house was something that just happened. Now, America was, from my perspective at that time, was was bad, but it wasn't bad because of things like uh, the old, old uh, Southern racism of the 1940s. It was bad because 
of poverty and increased crime. And of course, uh, poverty plus crime plus increased crime means multiple victims. And I thought that it couldn't get any worse. Well, it did. <laughs> um, but at least back then, the crime element, the criminal elements were more contained to certain areas. And at one point in time, if you moved out of that area, then you were fine because people kept their crime confined to certain areas. Nowadays, the murderer could doesn't even live in the neighborhood anymore. Um, drugs are everywhere. We can't escape that. Crime is everywhere. We can't escape that. We have politicians on both sides that say one thing and do another. But uh, and I say and I talk about this regularly with people that I love. It's always us as black people that get the at least from where I'm standing that are told the most lies and sold the most false hopes. And then nothing is done on uh, to improve our status. But we keep voting for people who continually lie to us and tell us one thing and uh, give us something else. Two years ago, when George Floyd died in the hands of Derek Chauvin, the police officer, once again, black people started calling for uh, police reform. And that's not what people on the political left side of the aisle heard. Blacks called for political re police reform. Blacks called, they, they sprung out of their behind, uh, defund the police. Blacks asked for, uh, Blacks started, you know, we started talking about things like joblessness and poverty and um, real issues that affect our children like mass incarceration. And they ignored all of that and gave us things like Hip Hop History Month and Juneteenth as a federal holiday didn't make sense to me because we say one thing and something else is told to us. Our children have been suffering in these neighborhoods that are overrun by violence for generations now. And we're told that the biggest threat to us and our kids is a Klan man in a hood uh, that doesn't even come, that wouldn't be able to find your black neighborhood if it wasn't for Google Maps. We have been lied to time and time again, and it gets worse as the years go by, but nobody suffers more than our kids. And it, it's gotten to a point now where our children are becoming uh, worse than with every generation due to the circumstances that we have put them in. We won't, we know that the out of wedlock birth rate in our community contributes to things like poverty and of course, um, as I read in a article the other day, that chaotic environments actually negatively affect the, uh, the cognitive development of children, but we don't want to hear that. We're never, we don't focus on that. Instead, what we do is feed into lies that somehow government programs will fix all this. Well, they when they were talking about defunding the police, they were talking about defunding the police and taking some of that money from the cops and circulating it back into, pro, into government programs for black kids. Problem is that was done before and it didn't work. Now we do, I guess there are some programs that may benefit black children, but for the most part, They've been failures and we keep beating our heads against the same wall that our kids need more programs, more programs, more programs. They don't need two parent stable homes. Black kids are the only kids on planet Earth that don't need fathers. 
Um, and it's black American kids because you can't tell it to an African woman or a Jamaican woman or a Haitian woman or uh, a black woman from anywhere else in the world. A black British woman, you tell her that she's going to tell you where to go. But a black American woman, for some reason, we've bought into the fact that our children are better off without their dads. We know that environment does affect a child uh, or a person but we refuse to stop irresponsibly having our kids in these poor, broken neighborhoods where gun violence and gang violence and run rapid, where the child molesters are protected and uh, coached as victims after they commit a crime against one of our children and the children themselves become the victims there because for some reason we've blamed our children for the actions of sexual predators. The, we ignore the statistics to say that black children have the highest rates of child neglect. And yet in all the things that we can do something about, we ignore that and forsake that because there's a politician in a pantsuit on TV telling us that we have no choice, that we're hopeless, and we uh, are incapable of changing our situations. We're incapable of doing anything to better our children's lives. So we might as well not try. Nothing is our fault. Nothing is of uh, our own doing. We hold no responsibility for where we are in life when that's absolutely not true. But then when someone else comes along, especially somebody black, and comes along and tells the black community, look, that's BS and you know it, then that person is ostracized. And that's the one that we turn on. That's the one that we want to eat alive. I don't get that. Um, it's getting to the point where it's almost hard to speak to and try to defend us because we don't listen anyway. So I read this uh, article from neuroscience.com that says that poor diet and household chaos may impair young children's cognitive skills. And this one stuck out to me, and I'm going to tell you why here in a second. Says poor nutrition coupled with living in a chaotic household environment may negatively affect young children's executive functioning, the higher order cognitive skills that govern memory, attention, and emotional control. Researchers at the University of Illinois Urbana campaign have found children 18 months to two years old who had who ate greater quantities of sugary snacks and processed foods were more likely to have problems with core components of executive functioning such as inhibition working memory and planning and organizing abilities, according to the survey completed by their caregivers. Nearly 300 families who participated in the research were part of an ongoing birth cohort study in which researchers began collecting data on children's dietary habits, weight trajectories, social emotional skills, and family relationships when they were about six weeks old. Although similar research examining links between nutrition and executive functioning was conducted with older children, teens previously the current study was novel in that it focused on children at an age when they were developing these vital skills and when dietary habits and home environment could play a role, a pivotal role. Children began to rapidly develop executive functions around the ages of two and five and wanted to look at the initial period when parents were making critical food-related decisions and the impact these had on children's cognitive abilities said first author Samantha Iwiski, a graduate student who has worked on the project for several years. Published in the journal Nutrients, the study was based on extensive data collected from the children's caregiver, including dietary intake questionnaire that assessed how often each child consumed various fresh and processed foods. 
Caregivers also completed a behavioral inventory that measured various dimensions of executive function, such as whether the child became easily overwhelmed or had current problems with playing or talking too loudly. Additionally, each caregiver answered questions about household chaos, such as whether the child's home environment was typically quiet and run with established routines or was prone to noise, overcrowding, and disorganization. Prior research with adolescents and teens linked household chaos with behavioral problems and poor performance on tasks related to core dimensions of executive function, such as the ability to focus and control one's emotions. According to the U of I researchers, analysis suggests that poor nutrition, including regular consumption of various snacks and processed foods, was associated with diminished cognitive performance and behavior among the children in the study. This article goes on for some time. I'm going to leave a link under this where you, uh, of course, are listening. But this one hits close to home. Um, and I'm going to tell you why. I was one of those kids that fit the bill of growing up in a chaotic environment. I grew up with chaos outside the door and I grew up with chaos inside the house. And it wasn't your typical like back and uh, sibling rivalry between me and my brothers. No, it was more of the relationship between my mother and father and how chaotic it was and how volatile it was. And it did affect us, not to mention that we were regularly moving and we had gone, we had fallen homeless several times, coupled with the fact that we lived in environments that embraced all these, be, these um, uh, this code of conduct that really uh, can be summed up to I guess a self, uh, I guess self harm. I guess uh, that's the best way I can describe it right now. But you had the quote unquote no snitching code, where if you saw something, you didn't say anything because that would make you a snitch. And I refused under any circumstances to raise my kids that way. Um, I, and because of attitudes like that in certain neighborhoods, a lot of people got hurt. Uh, there were girls as young as 12 and 13 that were being dragged into the streets and forced into prostitution. Yes, sex trafficking. Now we call it prostitution back then, but the term they use for it now is exactly what it is, sex trafficking, which is modern slavery. And the sad thing about it in those environments and those, those areas, the sex trafficker, the pimp of these girls is the hero. So we're against slavery when it was done 400 years ago to our ancestors, but we're or hundreds of years ago when it was done to our ancestors, but we're perfectly fine with modern day slavery when it's done to young girls in these neighborhoods by our own people. That to me doesn't make sense. I've, you know, we've written sex trafficking victims off as being little sluts and whores. And uh, as long as we can degrade the girl, we don't have to do anything about the men and the women that are forcing her and abusing her out there. It's the same thing with rape victims. If we can make the rape victim, the boy or the girl, the problem, then we don't have to actually deal with the real issue, which is the man or the woman that raped them. If we can uh, fault the person who is being robbed for their own victimization, then we don't have to deal with the, with the thieves. If we can uh, fault the murder victim, we don't have to deal with the murderer. This goes on. And when Black people such as myself get tired of those conditions and those stupid rules and we decide that we want out and we leave and we're considered the sellouts or we the race traders. We hate black people and all this other crap when we speak up about it and say, listen, I don't believe for a minute 
that I'm incapable of doing better because I did. And I don't believe for a minute that I have to worry as much about the Klan as my grandfather did when he came here in 1943. I don't. Um, racism today is not the same as racism was 50, 60 years ago. Then it was, it was widely accepted and practiced in the law. Today, it is highly shunned and the laws that uh, actually laws have been put in place that call that uh, render consequences for negative for racial discrimination and uh, crimes committed against persons based on race. What do you think a hate crime is for crying out loud? Um, but still, there are people that try to tell us that the the source of all our problems is not is outside of our community when we need to look within. So that's how it's promoted to blacks. Now, whites, I can't speak for that community. I don't know much about what they go through. But as the young man on Jason Whitlock's show did explain, their single mother rate has gone up five times. Um, they have a 25% single mother uh, household rate now, and that's shot up from the 90s. This is 2022. We have a single mother rate of about 75%. And that shot up from the 60s. Um, so this, the broken families across the board are expanding over time. And of course, where the families are broken, the same thing occurs. Increase in poverty because one thing that we used to talk about, which was the feminization of poverty, was mainly with uh, family, broken, family, broken families, either never married young women getting pregnant and having children that they at an early age or women who were married getting divorced and of course what we don't tell women while we're championing divorce culture is that your you and your children both fall down the socioeconomic ladder one degree when you get a divorce and since most women are not wealthy only about one percent of women in this country are wealthy you have a lot of middle class women falling into poverty and as they get divorced and then their children are exposed, black and white, to the same dangers, the same um, risks that those children that were already there living by themselves with their mothers have been exposed to, or you know, have been exposed to. <sighs> so we break the family. We uh, knowing knowing that this is going to cause women and children to fall into poverty. Everything goes through the roof. Um, children are no longer supervised. So if they're not supervised and they're not disciplined and then they're not disciplined in schools, I, the modern society's solution to that is not instituting some discipline, but drugging them up. And when they're drugged up and they snap and then they go off, then we act like we don't know what happened. And we, for some reason, with the Uvalde shooter, the, everybody's first response to that, at least that I talked to, was racism. Even though the, the shooter himself as well as most of the victims there were all Hispanics, but some way somebody pulled racism out of this. I'm like, I don't get it. It, it. Everything can't be racist. Everything cannot be the result of racism. When people started presenting the arguments that, well, you know, we have a cultural problem. We In America, we do embrace violence. And when we embrace violence and we uh, champion it, it's in our entertainment, it's in our music, it's everywhere that we look 
and then things like this happen, we can't really get, we have the nerve attack, like we're shocked and people brush that off and said, oh, that's stupid. It's racism. I don't know what in the world that, I, racism seems to be the excuse for everything nowadays and it's, it's beyond ridiculous. And my husband and I actually said this, and I'm gonna make this point, I'm gonna go. Uh, related to the circumstances that we're describing, especially with regard to us people of color, black and Hispanic, we're told that the the cause of the root cause of everything that goes that is wrong in our communities, at least with us as black, is racism, and it has nothing to do with our own decisions and our choices and the culture in which we live in. It has nothing to do with anything that we can help, such as if and when we reproduce and in building families versus building broken homes. It has nothing to do with that. It's always racism. And my husband and I talked, and we had an interesting conversation about this, and we said this that everything can't be racist. If everything is racist, then nothing that actually is racist is racist. Everyone cannot be a racist because if we label everyone with the, the banner of racist, then no one who actually is a racist is a racist anymore. We're literally uh, weakening the sympathy toward other people when it comes to racism or racial discrimination by using race, the word racist as a weapon to shut up people when they don't think the way that we want them to. My name is Lady T. Thank you for joining me. Tune in every Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday for all new episodes of Consensus Pod here on redcircle.com.